is actually the last week um, of this series looking at um, all these amazing questions that Jesus asked. We're going to um, kick into a new series next week, which I'm really excited about. Um, and so I want to look at um, one final question that Jesus asks us, um, which is actually all in the context of finances and worldly wealth. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to be in Luke chapter 16, um, and I'm going to start reading at verse 10. So Jesus says this, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you've not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who is going to give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the question I want to look at is in verse 11. It says this, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Right? That's the question. That's what I want to look at this morning. Um, and, I, and I really want to kind of, I mean, there's so much you could say about money. And I think it's, um, but I want to kind of, I want to focus in on um, this idea of true riches and that actually handling our money well is not an end in itself. That the, where we're heading for is actually that God wants to trust us with true riches. Actually, the, the true riches of a kingdom which is built on justice and mercy and generosity and healing and wholeness and restoration and impossibilities being changed. Like that's, that's the real stuff. That's what this really matters. That's true riches. And so if we want to walk in the fullness of that, if we want to experience life in all its fullness, which like Jesus said, that's why he came. Um, if we want to actually see, you know, see and celebrate and walk in like more of those amazing testimonies like Boosie shared this morning, actually we need to be serious. One of the things Jesus is saying is how we handle worldly wealth um, is part of how we walk into um, true riches. It's, it's pretty clear. So um, I want us to look at a, a few things this morning. So I'm going to throw up a diagram that kind of just will lay out um, this is where we're going this morning. So this is what it's going to look like. I didn't do that. John did that. Um, but this is what I look at. At the bottom, right, foundationally, when we're considering kind of actually provision, like the things that we need materially, um, there's this amazing promise at the bottom, which is in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8, and it says this, God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Right, and for me, that, that's like the most encompassing promise in the whole Bible, right? It, it covers everything. Um, and that, that's where, that is the foundation. When we're looking at our finances, we're looking at worldly wealth, we're looking at stuff, um, that's, that's the foundation, this promise. The NIV version says that in all things, at all times, you'd have all that you need, right? It is all covered. He's got it. He's got us, right? But then at the top, this, uh, where we're kind of, what we're overarching all of it is there's this amazing promise of t- true spiritual riches. And so that's the reason why it matters. Not, it's not that actually becoming financially responsible and generous is an end in itself. It's that there are some true riches for us to look after, right? And we, so we need to be aware. And I think, listen, I think it'd be worth acknowledging in the church, um, we've done a horrible job at teaching about money. Right, and you, you know what I mean by the kind of the whole prosperity gospel, which is, you know, come to Jesus, he's gonna make you a millionaire, and you know, you should sow a gift of a thousand dollars, and like, like, we've done a horrible, horrible job. Um, and, and like, we're, we're way off what Jesus said. 
Like we're way off. I think if we can hold on to this concept of true spiritual riches, it'll help us keep really healthy with our finances. But I think it's worth acknowledging we've done a bad job in it. But the answer to, oh my goodness, that was vile, how, how some, in some ways, the kind of the church has taught and, and yeah, talked about money. The answer is not to kind of swing the pendulum over to the other extreme and somehow say that actually God isn't interested in finances, God doesn't want to bless us, he doesn't want to provide, and somehow we can almost make it much more noble and godly to actually have lack because we recognize that whole kind of preaching that, you know, you'd be blessed, you'd be blessed, you'd be blessed. That's gone wonky. But we don't want to go to the other extreme and say, actually, somehow Jesus wants us all um, to go without because that's not it either. Right? So let's just acknowledge we haven't always done a great job at teaching about and walking um, in health and finances. But I think if we can have those two things, here's the foundation. In all things, at all times, having all that you need. God's able to do that. That's your foundation. But knowing that over all of that is, listen, there is a promise of something so much more important, which is true spiritual riches. And it's not just for you, it's through you to people around you. Okay? But in the middle, there's these three things. This is what I want to look at this morning. Um, so three things we want to talk about. Trust, we want to talk about test, and we want to talk about grace. And all of that middle section is, all of that gets worked out in relationship. Because actually some of those things are sort of two-directional. It's actually that we trust God, but he actually wants to trust us. Right? Actually, money is a test, so it is a test for us. But also God, when you look at it, God actually says, hey, test me. So there's like this two-directional stuff going on, which is all done in relationship. So look at the first one, trust. This is the verse 11, right? So this, this is what he's saying. Jesus says, if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? So this is an issue of trust, right? How we handle finances, provision, material stuff, and actually you know, grabbing hold of them and the true riches is about trust. That's the deal. And honestly, I feel like trust is probably the the central facet of how I relate to, how I feel about, how I think about, and how I manage money, right? Because what Jesus is saying, simply put here, is if I am trustworthy with worldly wealth, that doesn't just mean cash, but it includes it, but actually the stuff that he has given me, like my, my material possessions, like they're not sinful and ungodly, but if I, am, if I have shown myself to be trustworthy with those things, Jesus is saying, listen, that is actually what qualifies you, gets you ready, prepares you for, positions you for true spiritual riches for you and through you to people around you, the stuff that actually really matters. But here's the thing I found. My ability to be trustworthy with the stuff that God's given me actually is dependent on how much I trust God. Yeah, so can you see it's this two-directional thing. Actually, God can trust me with, with finances. And actually, the principle here is, listen, if I'm faithful with a little bit, he wants to give me more. So here's the thing. God can trust me because I trust him. Just this two-directional thing. So that, like, here's the question. Actually, do I trust God for what I need? Finances, material possession, for a home, for a Do I trust God? for worldly wealth? Do I really? I can say I do, but actually, do I really? But actually, the other question is, actually, can God trust me and you? If God is positioned to kind of give us more, and again, not just finances, but actually, the fullness of the kingdom, actually, can he trust us? And one of the ways that we demonstrate, yes, he can, is actually how we deal with worldly wealth. Like, it's a really simple verse, verse 11. 
If you haven't been trustworthy worthy with worldly wealth, we're not gonna be trusted with true spiritual riches. And I don't know about you, but I really want true spiritual riches. Like I want to see real justice in Manchester. Like I wanna see systemic poverty change. Like I wanna see people with addiction and brokenness and pain. Like I wanna see people whole and restored and free and healed. I wanna see that. That's true spiritual riches. But if I wanna see that, for myself, for my friends, for my family, for the, you know, the community in Manchester where we live, I have got to figure out how am I being trustworthy with what God's given me in terms of worldly wealth, right? That's the deal. So we can, it comes down to this, do I believe that God is who he says he is and he's gonna do what he says he's gonna do in terms of my provision, my material need? Do I trust him? Because, and this is the thing, believing and trusting are not quite the same thing. I can believe that God is a provider but to trust him as a provider, mean, that's got to look like something, right? Believing is great, but that's actually not going to change a whole deal. I can believe in the principle of flight, right? I don't understand the physics, but I can believe in the fact that I can get on a plane and I can fly to another country. To trust requires me to buy a ticket and put my backside on a plane seat. Otherwise, believing in flight gets me nowhere. Trusting is when I start move. So to say we trust God for our finances and worldly wealth, um, means actually I believe it and I'm going to do something about it, right? And it's easy for us to say it. Listen, and I'm like, it's so easy for us to say the right things, sing the right things, have all the right lingo, but actually, really, if it, we all drill down into it, that's not really where we're at. So we can say, you know, I trust that God is my provider. He's going to meet all of my needs. But actually, I'm not going to give where and when he tells me to, because actually, really, my trust is in me and my bank balance and my ability to provide for myself, Right? So if you say, God, you trust God as your provider, that's going to look like something. Right? We can say that actually God is a good father who wants to bless. We looked at that when we were looking at prayer, didn't we? He says, actually, how much more does your father in heaven want to bless you? And again, don't start twitching because we're going prosperity gospel. He wants to bless and provide for us in multiple different ways. He's a good father. But we can say, I believe God is good and he wants to bless me. But actually, I feel crippling guilty about spending anything on myself unless it's on the sale rack. And I don't know how to, you know, to be blessed when someone gives me a gift, right? Actually, I don't, I don't really trust God is a good God who wants to bless me then. You know, I can say my worth is not related to what I have, the house I have, the car I drive, what's in my bank balance. I can say those things, but to trust it means actually, do you know what? I'm not going to make myself feel better by shopping or being validated by the stuff that I have. Right, so believing is one thing, trusting is another. And listen, if we're really gonna trust God and therefore be found trustworthy, I think we need to get really good at giving, but I also think we need to get really good at receiving. And actually, sometimes we're like, actually one is more important than the other. Actually, we need to get really good at being blessed in order to bless other people. So this is the first thing. The second thing is this idea of a test. Um, and again, it, like the, the Bible says an awful lot about finances, um, and it is a test. But it's an interesting thing because it's an area that actually, it's the one time where God says, test me. He invites us to test him in that. And so actually, part of me trusting God means, all right, I'm going to take him up on that offer where he says, trust me in this. So let's have a look at that. Um, it was in Malachi 3, verse 6 to 12. Because this, this is how this stuff flows. Because I trust God, I'm going to test him. And by the way, just FYI, you're going to find him totally trustworthy. As you do that, he is always going to pass that test. So let's look in Malachi 3, verses 6 to 12. It says this, I, the Lord, do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees and you've not kept them. 
Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, well, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God and yet you rob me? You ask, God, how are we robbing you? And here's God's response, in tithes and in offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. Absolutely puts it out there. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Alrighty, let's dive into this. So the specific thing God's talking about here is, is actually tithes and offerings, okay? So the, the specific is about tithing and offering. The general principle here, I think, is what God is saying is, listen, you can live your lives in such a way because you trust me that almost you are putting me to, you're testing me in this and you will find that I'm faithful and that my heart towards you is I want to bless. I want to provide. I want to make it so that actually it isn't like there's a hole in your pocket and you're always running out. I mean, the, he talks in sort of agricultural terms, but it's, you know, that idea that actually there's pests are devouring your crops and the fruit's dropping before. It's like, actually, it's, it's never enough and I'm playing catch up. Because like, that isn't what I want for you. Test me and see if I don't have an, you know, a pour out provision for you. So he's asking us, he's inviting us to trust him and to test him. Because he wants to show himself faithful and trustworthy. Because he wants to bless us, to open the floodgates of heaven. That's the language he uses. To trust us with true spiritual riches. It's the verse we looked at earlier. But we need to be positioned to receive that. And I, I want to just for a moment, I like, I want to do a slight sideways and talk specifically about tithing, which is, if you're unfamiliar with that term, there is a kind of a principle we threw through the Bible of um, actually setting apart the first 10%. Tithe means a 10%. So we set apart the first and the best for God. And we are, we're not going to have time to unpack in detail all of that. And if, if you want to kind of, we talked on this in, it was May 2018. I had to run back and check it um, so if you were like, actually, we really unpacked in detail this whole thing about, well, what is the tithe? And hang on a minute, isn't it in the Old Testament? And maybe we don't have to do that now. And like, what is it all about? I, like, we did a whole morning trying to unpack that. Um, so if you want a bit more, if you want to dig into it a little bit more, for the sake of time, I'm not going to do it all now, but do have a listen back. But simply put, here's my understanding of it. The tithe, this idea of bringing the first 10%, actually your first fruits to God, it actually, you see it right, right back in the beginning of the Old Covenant. So actually before the law. Because one of the things that, um, understandably, we'd say in the church is, well, hang on a minute, we're not under the old Jewish law in its entirety anymore. We're under grace now, right? So actually, I can, I can leave all of that. But actually, it's interesting. If you look, you see this principle of the tithe. You see some of the Old Testament characters responding with 10% well before it was required and set out and sort of formalized in the law. Actually, it was done as a, a, um, a recognition of God, as a mark of honor and respect and trust. So actually, as a principle, you see it way before the law. Then it was formalized and it became part of actually just how the Jewish nation were encouraged to sort of set up and manage their finances. But the question is now is, all right, you know, because Paul, one of the early church writers in his letters, makes it very, very clear that we are not under the law, we're under grace, right? So, so now what? But well, how does this principle of, of tithes and offerings, so tithe is this, this 
you know, foundational 10%, that's God's, and offerings is anything after, after that that he, he encourages me to give. Because here's the deal, we need to get out of our head that 10% is for Jesus and 90% is for Sarah, right? It's all his. I just think he's pretty clear in where he would encourage us for that first 10%. But one thing Jesus says about the tithe, which I, for me I found really helpful, is in Matthew 23. This is where he's, Matthew 23 is this chapter where he is absolutely going after the Pharisees, the religious leaders who are just missing it horribly. So he says this, Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. He doesn't hold back. You give a tenth. So you basically, you tithe, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, which is justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, justice, mercy, faithfulness, the most important things, but without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. Awesome. (laughs) Right, so here's the deal. The Pharisees were tithing their spices. Can you imagine going through your spice rack? Like they were following the letter of the law just to absolutely the nth degree. But what Jesus is saying, you're doing all of that, but you're 100% missing it because your heart position is horrible, right? What he's saying is you've neglected the more important matters, which is not a tick box of rules that I need to keep. It's a heart position that is actually about knowing that God is concerned with justice and mercy and faithfulness. That's what really matters. That's what true spiritual riches, which is what Jesus says he wants to trust us with, right? But interestingly, he doesn't say stop tithing. I think that verse, you know, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So basically, go after justice and mercy and kindness and generosity, but don't neglect actually that first 10%, that principle of first and best belongs to God. That's how I see it. That's how I would understand it. I think, my, my understanding is I think Jesus is affirming tithing, but he's going after it as a heart position, not a tick box behavior, because we're not under the law or under grace. Make sense? Okay, a few of you are nodding. That's good. So the Pharisees were technically keeping all the rules, but they were also missing it completely and entirely. And that's what we, we don't want to do that. So just doing the behavior, keeping the rules is not the thing, folks. Actually, giving should be because I'm able to, not because I have to, right? Remember, all of these questions Jesus asked, he's not asking with a kind of a raised fist and a pointed finger and just make sure you get it right. He's asking them with open hands, saying, hey, come on. Like, what does it look like, Sarah, for you to steward your finances in such a way that you would walk with me to actually see justice and mercy and restoration? Like, what does that look like? So the test, if you like, the test aspect of our finances is all about a heart position. It's not a test as in tick box, did I get the right answer? It's actually where's my heart positioned? But if that's positioned in the right place, it's going to have some out. It's going to be some action. So should we still tie this? You know, the age-old question. Personally, my understanding is yeah. I think we should. For me and for Phil and I, that has been like our foundational. That is like giving 101. How are we going to handle finances? That's the first brick that's always in place. But do we have to tithe? I wonder maybe not, but I think that's the wrong question, right? The much more more important question for us trying to follow Jesus is not what do I have to do, but actually what am I empowered by grace to be able to do? It's a completely different question, which will give us a completely different approach to finances. And it's all about grace, which is the last of those three columns I want to look at. 
Because I'm, I'm super aware, when we're talking about language of as a test, you know, for some of us that kind of flashbacks to school and that actually that is all about the context of performance and okay, if there's a test then I can pass or I can fail and it's very kind of, we can get into sort of performance language. And so I'm not going to shy away from the fact that actually, you know, God does let out the money is a test, but knowing that in the test there's absolutely grace, right? So it's not so much here's a test that I might fail, it's hey, here's a test that his grace is going to allow me to absolutely pass and flourish, not just for me, but for other people as well. If you read, and again, for time, we're not going to have time, but I would encourage you, read 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. So this is Paul writing to the church in um, Corinthians about this whole thing about a giving an offering, a gener- being generous. And he's kind of, he's taken up an offering and he's wanting to come and, and for them to be ready to actually give, to meet some needs of some really poor people. Um, so this is what, that, what those chapters are about. And it's really interesting that twice in those two chapters... Um, is Paul actually talk, uses this phrase about grace. So 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1 and 2 says this, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Right, maths was never my strong point, but that is an equation that makes flat out no sense. Overflowing joy plus extreme poverty equals rich generosity. Like, what? Like that's, that sum does not work, does it? Extreme poverty should not in any context result in joy and generosity. Like that doesn't make sense. But here the difference is grace. And this is what Paul says. He said, listen, I want you lot to know that the Macedonian church were full of joy, incredibly poor, but were able to be generous because of the grace that God gave them. So in this idea of actually God is calling us to be faithful and generous with what he's given us, actually he also gives us grace to be able to do the very thing that he's calling us to do. He says it again when he's sort of summing up um, this encouragement to people to be ready to give. And he's basically saying, listen, your giving is doing two things. It's meeting the needs of people who are really poor and in need. And you're, you're meeting the need and so you should. But it's also, he says, it's a way that actually you're expressing your faith and your thankfulness to God. And then he says this, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 14. And in their prayers, the people who've been blessed and encouraged, uh, in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of, here's the phrase again, the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks, to be, thanks be to God for his indescribable grace. So here's the thing, we must absolutely, we have got to make space for grace in our finances. Like we want to be good stewards. We want to be obedient. We want to be faithful. Like we want to make wise financial decisions. Like we want to do all of those things. But we have got to make space for grace, which is what God wants to give us, not what we necessarily earn or kind of strive for, but actually he gives us in order for us to be faithful, obedient, and generous, and to do it all with a smile. There's a grace for that. Overflowing joy, even in extreme poverty. So we have got to make room for grace and know that there's so, so much grace. Go back to that first verse, that all-encompassing promise at the bottom of our diagram, 2 Corinthians 9.8. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. I want to just, as we come into close, I want to look at that word. We're going to go a little bit Greek for a while, if that's all right. This word, abound, right? Um, it's perisio, is the, is the Greek word. So he's saying, listen, God wants to make grace abound to you, perisio. But he, actually, in order that, 
You've got everything that you need so that you would abound, same word, parisio, in every good work, right? That word, parisio, it means sufficient, but not just sufficient, it means abundance. It's basically, I was looking into this, and this might not made you, but I love this. It's like, this is so great. You know the stories in Matthew, in the Gospels, where Jesus feeds the 4,000 and the 5,000, right? You know, so there's a story. There's all these people, not enough food. You've got a little boy who's got his pat lunch, um, and the disciples are like, this is all we've got. This is nowhere enough. But Jesus prays, and he starts, gives the food to the disciples. They start giving out, and from this one pat lunch, thousands of people are fed, and not just fed, but do you remember the part of the story that says actually that there were 12 baskets left over? So everybody ate, miraculously, there were 12 baskets left over. Do you know what that's Greek, the word, the original Greek word is for that phrase, left over? Parisio. Leftovers. Listen, so often in the church, we either think that we actually we feel like it's somehow more noble and more like Jesus to live with lack, when actually God wants us to live with leftovers. That's amazing. Actually, provide and leftovers. That's what abounding is. It's actually abounding graces. There's enough and more than enough for me to do the things. And listen, this is the really important thing I want to point out to you, this verse in 2 Corinthians 9. It's not just about him having abounding grace towards us so I get more and more and more and more. It's not. It's actually so that we would abound in every good work of seeing the kingdom come, of actually seeing God's justice and mercy and faithfulness and righteousness actually break in. So seeing people healed and healthy. Like that's, that's the deal, right? So we need, to, we need to have that imagery when we're looking at our finances. Actually think about those kind of 4,000 people on the hill, hungry with, like, so there was this overwhelming need. I mean, if you think back for the disciples, they're like, okay, there are thousands of people. We have two fish and five loaves. It's like the need and what I've got, like you do not need to be a mathematician. No, there's no way that there's enough, right? And I know sometimes we can look at situations and that's where we kind of feel. We're like so aware of the lack, so aware of what they had wasn't enough. But Jesus trusted his disciples and they trusted him. So there was this two-way trust, even in that. He was like, it's all right, bring it to me. I'm going to pray. And so they trusted it into his hands. But then he trusted it back into their hands, like, right, you lot. Here you go, Peter. Here you go, James. You go start giving that away. And they trusted him. And, and I'm sure that felt like a test. They were like, all right, let, let's do what he said. And as they did that, there was not only provision, but there was leftovers, abounding, parisios, this Greek word. And listen, the disciples didn't earn it, they didn't strive it, they didn't work for it, it wasn't their pat lunch, it was all given by Jesus into their hands for them to start giving away. And there was enough for everyone and leftovers. Right? That's what God wants to do in us and with us and through us so that we would abound in every good work right? Not so that you have a fatter bank balance, but you have a fuller life and the people around you do. So actually your neighbours, your friends, your colleagues, Manchester as a whole, actually the poor in our city, those who find themselves on the streets, those who are suffering addiction, they, there's, left, there's enough for them and leftovers. There's enough for you and I and leftovers. So it isn't just about you and I having a fatter bank balance, it's about having a fuller life. It's about living in the fullness of the kingdom in me and for me, yes, but through me to people around me so that there are true spiritual riches. 
And listen, that is, I'm so hungry for us as a church to really start have, operating in and, and dishing out true spiritual riches. But we've got to figure out, Jesus is absolutely clear, if we are not trustworthy with worldly wealth, we are not going to be trusted with true spiritual riches. Like, and I know in all of us, it's like, actually, I want to see... I want to see change. I want to see justice. I want to see that person healed. Like I want to see that person come to know Jesus. I, I want to see that person kind of free from that addiction. I want to live in peace. Like I want to live in content, which is contentment, which is nothing to do with how much money I have. That's that's what the kingdom is. That's where we can and should live, and where we can and sh- what we can and should be dishing out to people around us. But to do that, we have got to figure out. What does it look like for me to be trustworthy with worldly wealth? All right? Okay. Why don't you stand? Let's pray for one another. And listen, I'm acutely aware, listen, we can't respond to, a, you know, these kind of words of Jesus, like, I've got to figure out what this looks like. I need to sit and, and pray and, and look at my budget. And look, like, I, I need to figure out, Jesus, where is my heart at when it comes to money and generosity? and being obedient. Jesus, show me, change me, help me. All the time we need to be asking ourselves those things. So why don't you place a hand on your heart and let's, let's pray for ourselves. Father, we want to be trustworthy. And God, we want to be able to say we absolutely trust you. So God, where there's areas where we find it hard to trust you, please help us. Where there's areas where we've forgotten or just willfully chosen not to trust you, we're sorry. Please help us. But Jesus, we want to come to you again this morning and say, we trust you. And we trust you with our finances. We want to be good stewards of what you've given us in terms of worldly wealth. And God, we recognize we have so much more than so many people. And we are deeply, deeply grateful. But help us to be generous, God. Help us to be obedient. Help us to be faithful. Because God, actually, we want the true spiritual riches. And so Father, I I pray for that this morning. Above anything else, true spiritual riches, genuine peace, genuine health physically and emotional health and our mental health, free from fear, free from shame, free from past regrets. Jesus, that's real spiritual riches. And God, we want to see Manchester change. We want to see poverty change in this city. We want to see social statistics change in this city because we've been faithful to who you're calling us to be so jesus we, we want to say we're here that we want to be trusted with true spiritual riches help us help us and god in all of it remind us again that you're a good father who promises not to provide and to bless and that god there's more than enough so help us to live with that picture There's enough and there's leftovers because you're a good and generous God. So we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.